Shalom, and welcome to the Pardes Center for Jewish Educators podcast series, Chanukah, Pesach, and Purim, Walk Into a Bar. Each episode, Rabbi Svi Hirschfeld will be joined by guest educators who will reveal the deeper meaning for each festival or year cycle event. The Talmud says when wine enters, secrets come out. So prepare to be intoxicated as our great educators each bring a text with them that encapsulates the spiritual essence and holy work of that time of year that will change our and our students' lives forever. Welcome to the bar. Okay, welcome everyone to another exciting episode of when Pesach, Hanukkah, and Purim walk into a bar. I hope I got the order correct. I got the order wrong. That's okay. All of them are there. They're, they're all, all the holidays are there. Uh, it's an opportunity for us at Pardes who uh, work in the field of Jewish education and Torah to share some insights and thoughts and questions with you about different holidays. And hopefully you will find this helpful, uh, especially for you educators who are listening, to prompt some thought, creative ideas, uh, and ways you want to teach or make these, uh, these moments in the calendar relatable. So today, <clears throat> excuse me, we took on a tough one. And that is uh, Rosh Chodesh, because as uh, our colleague Aviva, who's sitting right next to me, just pointed out, we don't get a lot of information from the Torah about why Rosh Chodesh is important. We, we are told that on a sacrificial level in the Mikdash or in the Mishkan, uh, the temple, the tabernacle, extra sacrifices were brought, which makes it sound like it's a festival or a Shabbat. But beyond that, we don't seem to have any particular customs or requirements. So in a way, it's this very powerful reference, but it's not 100% clear what we do with it. And I think that might even be true till today, right? We say we have extra tefillah, we say extra prayer, we say an abridged form of halal. But I think a lot of us are still maybe struggling or grappling with how to make this time significant or what the deeper meaning might be. So uh, I am blessed with having wonderful colleagues here. I have uh, Sethi Kraut here, and I have Aviva Goldberg here. So we are ready to uh, have a conversation and uh, share some thoughts. So we're going to begin with uh, our friend Sethi, who's sitting right across from me. Yes, CJE teaching coach. That is all true, and I'm happy to be here. Uh, okay, so the tefillah that I chose connected to uh, Rosh Kodesh is known today as Birchat HaChodesh. Uh, we'll talk more about the specific tefillah in just a few minutes, but first I wanted to start with a little bit of background. Okay, The history of this tefillah is interesting. It involves um, a fight over authority and politics and religion. Okay, There's a lot, there's a lot going on. Soap opera! Yeah, <laughs> to some degree. But well before any tefillah was composed that's known as Birchat HaChodesh, we have to first relate to what Svi was talking about um, in terms of how, how is Rosh Chodesh declared. So initially, the way it went, or in the time of the Beit HaMikdash, the high court was sitting in Jerusalem and awaited, it just waited for people to come and testify that they had seen a new moon. And after a very intense vetting process, if the Sanhedrin um, concluded that these witnesses can be trusted, then uh, the new moon or the Rosh Chodesh was declared for, for the whole nation. And this is very significant because we need to know when Rosh Chodesh is in order to determine when all of the holidays, when the Chagim fall out. So it becomes a crucial 
uh, a crucial moment in time that dictates the whole uh, the the performance of mitzvot and chagim for the whole nation. So once the temple is destroyed, there's a big shift, and um, the and rather than uh, witnesses going to the Sanhedrin that was in Jerusalem to declare uh, or to testify about the, seeing the new moon, they went to the court in Yavna, and over time. The, the court in Yavna has much less power than the court in, that develops in Babylonia. So let's just clarify, we're talking about the second temple here. Yes, thank you. We are talking about the second temple. The second temple has been destroyed. The Jews have been dispersed. There are some living in, in Palestine. There are some living in Babylonia. And over time, the major Jewish authority or rabbinic authority trends toward, uh, trends toward uh, Babylonia. However, the one main um, place of authority that remains in Palestine, in the court in Palestine, is the declaration of Rosh Chodesh. But now we get into trouble, because in the 4th century, the Christian authorities forbade the Jewish rabbinic authorities sitting in Palestine to publicly declare and disseminate information about Rosh Chodesh, and they also forbade them from, um, from declaring a leap year. And now, Hillel II has a very important decision to make. Okay? He knows that this is his one remaining place of authority, and if he keeps this authority for himself, right, he is going to get into trouble because he can't tell anyone else that it's actually Rosh Chodesh. Okay? And what happens... Tzvi and Aviva, if he can't tell anyone else that it's Rosh Chodesh? If you can't tell someone that it's Rosh Chodesh in the woods, does it really clap? No. <laughs> what? what? <laughs> Meaning, okay, I totally mixed several things up there, but... Um, I got I, it anyways, though. Yeah, you yeah. did. I hope all our Absolutely. listeners did, too. They got it, they got it. Sefi, are you trying to say that... Um, what are the ramifications of being unable to declare Rosh Chodesh? There is no Rosh Chodesh, I guess. There is no Rosh Chodesh, and then what will happen to the rest of the nation in the Chagim? Or there are multiple Rosh Chodeshes, and then you've got the Jewish people celebrating everything on different days, and uh, it, would be, right. it would really undermine the unity of the Jewish right. people. There is right, no probably. unity of the Jewish people. Wait, if he's, sorry to interrupt you, if he is, um, if he's not declaring Rosh Chodesh, is somebody else declaring it? Well, it could. There's no central authority left to declare Rosh Chodesh. But in so Babylonia, they're not doing it. They're not doing it because that authority was reserved for the High Court in Palestine. So he now has this question, right? He has one one main the, the court. He has is, one job. He has one job, right? That gives him really the, the authority. Otherwise, everything else has really shifted to the authority of the Jewish court in in Babylonia, and. If he insists on maintaining that authority, right, the ramifications for the, the unity of the Jewish people are huge, right? It could just collapse. Everyone will be celebrating holidays based on their own calculations. The, the other option is the Hillel can decide to create a fixed calendar. And if he does that, right, and if that gets adapted, if the fixed calendar gets adapted, then all of the Jewish people will be on in sync with each other for, uh, for the holidays, but he loses his authority. So what no does witnesses. he choose? Right, all of a sudden you don't need any witnesses. All of a sudden there's a fixed calendar, and we can know in advance when Rosh Chodesh is going to be. So much less fun. Yes. So much less, less drama. Less fun, less drama, but... 
and less authority for Hillel and his court, but that's ultimately what Hillel chooses to do. And he creates a fixed, yes, this is a surprise ending for all of us, <laughs> he creates a fixed calendar. Once we've got a, once we've got a fixed calendar, we have a, um, people still need to be alerted when Rosh Chodesh is because you can't print up calendars. So what do you do? So let me ask you, if you wanted to disseminate information to the people and you have no he's internet... He's not really allowed to. Didn't, well, say, didn't you say he's not allowed to? He, he can't publicly... Yes, that's true. He can't declare it in the way he had declared it before. But okay. now this, this calendar is... And this system of keeping calendar is, is, has been disseminated. But you have to try to get the information out. Meaning the calculation for Rosh Chodesh is determined by a preset calendar. But how do you let people know when Rosh Chodesh is? What is the most effective, where is the most effective place and when is the most effective time? Bake it into a cake and then people will know. Wait, perhaps that was not the announcement. <laughs> you like put the little, a little note inside of the cake and then... And how do they get that said cake? Well, that's, they come to shul, they'll eat cake. <laughs> 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 ah, Tzvi, unknowingly, is it, or maybe knowingly, I said the magic words, you go to shul. Wait, that's exactly is that it. You, is, were you, you, I was just you, thinking of cake. <laughs> I was but the shul component of the cake and shul yeah. is actually what they did, and that's how we arrive at Avrechad HaKodesh. Because what they did was, they said, okay, now that there's a fixed calendar, we can actually alert the nation to Rosh Chodesh in advance. We don't need to wait for any witnesses to see the moon. We know exactly when it's going to be. And what they did was, they created a system to make an announcement. It was a, basically a public service announcement. That's how it started. Just mentioning, right, Rosh Chodesh is going to be on such and such month and such and such day and will apply to the whole nation. And that was it. That, and that's the, that, was the, uh, that, was the, that was the entire thing. It was just a public service announcement initially. Very soon after that, they added a, a very uh, small bracha of Misha Asani Simla Avotenu. It's a very, very old bracha. May have been inserted at the same time as this public service announcement was implemented. And uh, having to do the main theme there being um, B'nai Israel uh, should be redeemed, right? Very, uh, very much in sync with. Symbolism about the moon, right? We go through hard times, but eventually emerge in light, and that's the one of the major themes here. It's interesting that the idea of redemption makes sense because you could argue the whole reason we have a calendar and we're doing this is because we're living as a scattered people. You know, that, mm-hmm. In other words, the need for the calendar, the need for the announcement, is all a result of being unredeemed. And if we were redeemed, we had a temple, and we were all in J- Jerusalem then we could hear the announcement. So kind of, like, it makes sense, I think, to me in that way. Yeah, that's really interesting. I wonder if that was a, you know, a subtext in the formation of that text, a certain understanding of the context, right, that this is only necessary now because we are not redeemed, because we are not all in the land. Hmm. I'm just, you know, when I was thinking about this and, you know, what text I would bring and what, you know, what Rosh Chodesh really does mean for me, the idea of it, of it being an organizing principle or an organizing um, event, maybe or something, something that for our lives, you know, to know, okay, this is the first day of the month, and therefore that means in fifteen days from now we're going to be doing X, we're going to be celebrating Y. For me, that is very helpful as somebody who is very organization oriented. 
um, you know, like the details are very important, the dates are very important, that that really speaks to me. So when mm-hmm. you said, you know, it's a public service announcement, I kind of want to like whisper, it's a public service announcement today also, because we know Rosh Hashanah is coming, but I still always, it's very confusing to me, it doesn't matter how many years I've been a Jewish educator, it is very hard for me to remember which months are have 29 days and which month have 30 days and therefore when Rosh Chodesh is going to be. So for me it is Shabbat Mavarchim and Birchat Chodesh is a public service announcement. Oh, it's going to be on Monday, not on Sunday. Right, and I think that it, the fact that it, it um, the fact that it it indicates that it's a significant public service announcement. We do it in shul, right, in synagogue, even today, um, in the week prior to Rosh Chodesh, because we, it matters, and we think it matters, and we want everyone to be on the same page about it. Uh, not enough that you, ha- if you happen to notice it on your calendar, but we want to place it on your calendar. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, Aviva, though, do you think that part of the reason, because you are so organized, I bet you know when Pesach is and when Sukkot is. It's my birthday, Pesach, so I do know. Mm-hmm. But but I'm yeah. in it every given year. Right, now you know at what point in the I know what you mean in the Gregorian calendar. Gregorian calendar. So I'm saying maybe the fact that many of us don't know when Rosh Chodesh is, and when it's announced in Shul, we're like, oh, is because maybe it's because Rosh Chodesh doesn't play this organizing role. We don't think of it. Maybe Mm -hmm. because we have a calendar, or maybe because we don't do anything different on that. I'm just wondering out loud why is it organized people like you don't know in advance, and I'm thinking it's because. Whenever Rosh Chodesh is, maybe it's not going to really change that day or that week for you in a way that's significant. Well, so thus far, until we prepared for this podcast, it really doesn't for me. For a lot of people, it does, I think. But for me, it is still that very detail-oriented, sort of boring day. But it is helpful because when I know Rosh Chodesh has happened, something switches in my mind and I say, even though I know Pesach is coming and I know Sukkot is coming, when Rosh Chodesh happens, there's something that light switches on in my mind and I say, oh, we have 15 days, you know, I have to be doing my cleaning or I have to be building my sukkah or I think I am tuned into it in a very technical way, not in a spiritual redemption kind of way. Mm-hmm. But into a technical in a technical way. Right, so, Steffi, one more question for you: Do you connect to this tefillah? Like, do you like to hear it in shul? And what does it make you think of? And I actually connect to this tefillah uh, very much, uh, partially just from a you know a sentimental, personal standpoint. My father used to sing it uh, Shabbat day always, um, so that it it still resonates with me. I still hear his voice in my head, um, but also from the words. I think there's. Um, you know, we've been talking a lot about the organizational standpoint of this tefillah, but um, and and the significance of the organization um, and public service announcement. But I think also um, what it does for me is organizes me not just in terms of knowing the date and when the chagim are coming, but it organizes, or maybe a better way to say it, it, it um, instigates for me um, self reflection. Mm. that each month is its own mini unit. And what am I hoping for and wishing for and praying for in this coming month? Um, you know, we, I, I think Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur get a lot of play for that. You know, um, you know those are the times when you're supposed to self-reflect and, you know, and, and you're supposed to uh, think about your past and your future and what, you're, what you want. But there's something about Birkat HaChodesh that says to me every month, oh, think about where you are right now. 
And in smaller segments of life, where do you want to be next month? What are you hoping for? A mini Rosh Hashanah. Yeah. I never thought of it that way, but I've never, I never articulated it that way, but yes. And there's that custom, the last day of every month, to do Yom Kippur Katan and to fast and to do tshuva. So I think that idea is out there. Mm-hmm. I just don't want to fast once a month because yeah. I'm not disciplined enough. So, But I love that. I mean, I really do love this idea of it, even though until yesterday, I didn't think about this so much. Um, this actually is very connected to what I ended up deciding to bring because um, instead of thinking about it just in this organizational way, so I asked my, you know, my um, advisors, AKA my sisters, um, what they thought about Rosh Chodesh. And so I, you know, the, the shout out that I'm going to do, the first shout out is to my sister, Rena Lauer. Hey, Rena. Um, when I asked her, she said some really interesting things, which resonate with what you said, Sefi, that, um, What's meaningful to her about Rosh Chodesh is that you can start fresh each month. And um, I, I really do like that. I mean, I we've talked, Tavi and I, um, in our tefillah discussions about how you can do that with every service each day. You know, like in Mincha, you're thinking, oh, what do I want to do for the rest of the day? Everything is about reflection constantly. So that's a mini, a mini Rosh Chodesh is every day. But um, we then, we asked my, my niece... Dari Gilmore, hello to you. I hope you're listening to this nine-year-old. And what she said um, about Rosh Chodesh is that it's the start of a new month and I get to be a new person, okay? That she gets to um, start fresh, not just on Rosh Hashanah, but every month. My nine-year-old niece said that. Yeah, so um, I really do like that idea a lot. but then the second thing that my sister Rena said really um, got me thinking about this text that I'm going to say in one sec. I'm going to share with you in one second, um, and that is that this is really beautiful. That the fact that Rosh Chodesh is not when the moon is full, but when the moon is, uh, we can hardly see it because it's sort of like the way in which the beginning of something can seem really hopeless. But over time, we can see the possibilities. Mm. Rosh Chodesh gets us to understand that there is a system and we have to trust the system. We have to trust that there are going to be possibilities, um, that it's not going to be hopeless. So the text that I brought um, is from um, the Bavli, um, from the Talmud um, in Tractate of Odazara. And it's a story that is um, maybe a little bit less known than the story that comes right up, comes right beforehand um, about um, Adam and Eve. So, well, this this was less known to me than the other one before, which we're not going to quote. So, um, the Brita says, "Yom shenivrabo Adam harishon," the day that um, the first human being was born. Kevan sheshak alav chama, as soon as the sun started to set, he said, "Oily." Oh, no. We're in today's jargon. Oh, my God. Maybe because I messed up, maybe because I sinned, the, the world is getting dark because of me. And the world is going to just return to its primordial state of chaos and disorder. Um, maybe I'm about to die. Maybe everything is just going to really, it's going to 
descend into nothingness and I'm about to die. This is the first day he was born. So he sat and fasted. He fasted. He cried all night. The Chava, his wife, Eve, Bocha Kenegdo, she's also crying. They're both sitting there and crying. It's a very sad scene. But as soon as um, the, the dawn broke, Amar, he realized, this is the way it's supposed to be. There is going to be darkness, and then there's going to be light. The cycle is going to happen. And as soon as he that aha moment for him happened, he figured out um, that there was going to be a system and that he could trust that system of possibilities, um, he got up, v'hikriv shor, shekarnav, we're not going to continue on, there's some weird thing about he, um, the, um, the animal, the bull that he decided to sacrifice, but he was very pleased, he was very relieved, and that's when our trusting of the system started with Adam and Eve. Um, and that's, yeah, that's really what I want to now start thinking about on Rosh Chodesh, this idea not just that I can be a new person, but we, we have to trust. We have to believe that good is happening. Mashiach is coming. Things, things are good. Let's not, let's not just be downers all the time, you know? Let's... I think what you've just taught me is that, that even if things are not looking good right now, they can and likely will look good as you move forward. Exactly. But you have to trust that that can happen. And just as Rosh Chodesh, the moon is just a sliver and you barely see it and it grows, there are bigger possibilities. Absolutely. So we really do have a built-in negativity bias, right? We are sort of hardwired to see problems, see troubles. It's like a survival instinct. Yeah, I think so. It's part of our survival instinct. And, uh, and All of us? I think so. Well, that's what the, the research shows most human beings are hardwired that way, but I think that means we need tools to sort of counteract that, right? We need to actively choose to turn off that alarm system that says, oh no, the world's going dark, and it's always going to be dark, and try to flip a switch and say, well, it might be dark right now, but uh, maybe that's just part of a cycle, and things are going to turn in a different direction, or maybe the darkness now is going to make something else possible you know, afterwards. So that's, I think that's, that's a powerful tool. Yeah, I wonder if that idea um, that Aviva shared is, um, is helped by the fact that we continue to declare the coming Rosh Chodesh despite the fact that we have a fixed calendar. We have to put ourselves into the system, right? And to say, and to, we know that what exists now may not you know, could evolve and, and the status quo is not forever after things can change rather than just letting the page on the calendar flip without noticing it. We have to put ourselves into the system to, to literally declare that something is going to change. And say aloud what we want our blessings to be, right. which is, you know, in, in Birchad HaKodesh, you know, we right. want it to be a month of prosperity and a month of peace and all the, the things that we say. Right. We that have this, to say it aloud. Right. And this is what matters to me. This is what I think is important. These are priorities. This, right. Yeah. Our wow. intentions for the month. That is great. So I'm going to be quick, but hopefully it'll be meaningful. So the Mishnah in Rosh Hashanah, in the second chapter, describes two scenes. 
right? Because the question, of course, that comes up, how did they inform all those Jews all over that the, the Sanhedrin, the great court, had declared the new moon? So it describes this uh, system of fires, where they would light these massive fires from hill to hill. It even lays out in the Mishnah which different uh, which hills uh, were, were were used, uh, and that's sort of this one central ceremony is going to the top of this mountain and lighting a fire. And another thing that's described in detail in the Mishnah is the way the witnesses would walk from wherever they were. If they sighted the new moon, they had to walk to Jerusalem. So I saw in this very lovely book called Nishmat HaMishnah, The Soul of the Mishnah, where uh, Rav Ganak, he Hebraicized his name, I can't remember what it is now, so I apologize to him. He's probably not listening. But uh, like, what does that evoke? The idea of fire on top of a mountain and people walking to Jerusalem, it's a scene of Mikdash, right? It's a scene of, of, of pilgrimage, of coming to the temple. Uh, and my take from that was this idea that Rosh Chodesh, we are quite literally sanctifying time, right? When the Beitim would declare the, the, the new month, they would say Mikudash, right? It's sanctified. And I think that the message for me is that time is sacred or needs to be sacred. Uh, that we're always running the risk of just going through the motions uh, or, or in my case, the sense of, wow, the time flew by, which can sometimes mean something really positive that I was so engaged but sometimes the time flew by can have a sense of, I was on autopilot. I wasn't noticing. I wasn't conscious of anything. The time just sort of, I was like taken along by it, but I wasn't noticing. The part of being intentional is to notice time, to mark time in order to want to use it for something. I think we're, we're supposed to sanctify our time by using it for holy purposes and not just be in a habit or a rut or just be on autopilot. So I think for me, ah, right, Rav, Rav Magain, thank you very much. Aviva wrote it down for me. You could have said it. That was awesome. Uh, the, uh, I think for me, this is a really important idea, which I don't use. I realize that Rosh Chodesh for me has become like, oh, Minion's going to be a half hour longer today. And if it's at Pardes, three hours longer today. <laughs> and uh, that's, that's unfortunate because I think the reason we're saying those extra tefillot and saying halal and everything else is because we're supposed to learn how to sanctify time. And so I think I have a lot of work to do uh, in that. But doing this has been helpful to me uh, for that process. So can we talk for a few minutes about what teachers or experiential educators might do with their students Yes. in order to get, to do exactly what you just said? As opposed to Rosh Chodesh only being this change in the liturgy, what could educators do to get some of these ideas out there? Okay, thoughts, awesome educators. Well... Can we can can somebody just mention? I guess that's me. Um, that here at Pardes, in at the community lunch before Rosh Chodesh, because we're not here together on Shabbat, um, um, horns are sounded. Yes. Well, uh, it's we, not a shofar. No, because <laughs> that's the other commandment that we're told to do is Chatzot's road to blow these trumpets. I think we trumpets, should have, that's we should have the Rosh Chodesh breakfast actually. I think that's when we, we actually attempt to do that biblical Oh, thing. I really thought I couldn't remember. Yes, we do it at Rosh Kodesh breakfast. <laughs> um, okay, so you might want to think about 
really doing something that seems a little bit crazy, um, just, you know, blow some trumpets, but that that sense of do 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 or whatever it is that they're sounding. Yeah, they're um, not as good as what you just did, but they try. <laughs> they do try. That that ushers in, that heralds in some sort of sanctification, some kind of making something special. That is a great idea. You know, I was thinking that really based on what Safi said, maybe the idea of this little mini Yom Kippur Rosh Hashanah, maybe we ask people to reflect, right? That towards the end of each month, okay, where did I struggle this past month? And looking forward on Rosh Chodesh, okay, what do I want to accomplish in this coming month? What are the things that I hope for? What do I want to try to do? Maybe we could set aside a few minutes even just to sort of make my Rosh Chodesh diary or my Rosh Chodesh journal uh, as a way to really mark sort of my progress, struggles, challenges, aspirations as a person uh, over time. Right. I think goal setting is is uh, a great a great activity anytime, and and Rosh Chodesh gives you a very natural uh, opportunity to do that. And I, and I would think that um, you know maybe kids could be encouraged to think about goal setting a little differently than we sometimes normally do. Uh, not goal setting in terms of grades that they get, or um, but just some think of a goal of something that matters to you in your own life. Um, you know something that my a goal could be. Uh, thinking about what would what would be the most fun? How can I have the most fun in the, within the context of what I'm, you know, my life or what I'm allowed to do uh, in my life? And just see Rosh Chodesh as a launching pad for any of those any of those activities or goals. Yeah, and and the way my niece Dari Sarah Hadar Gilmore, um, she's still listening, I'm sure. Um, you know the way she said, "I get to be a new person." So, you know, how do you get to be a new person? What's something new you're going to try this month? You know, something could be something fun, something adventurous, something scary to you that takes you out of your comfort zone, you know, that, that changes you because it's, it's not you anymore. You get to try something new and then it, it's the new you. Um, I think that's a type of goal setting that could be done. Mm-hmm. And perhaps even just, a, you know, a, a monthly individualized Rosh Chodesh ritual, I mean that with a very small R, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, if you're into jewelry making, you make yourself a new bracelet every Rosh Chodesh. If you're into, you know, and that's your Rosh Chodesh bracelet, or if you're into um, sports, um, you know, you, I'm blanking out for a second. That's odd, because I'm into sports, and I don't know anything about jewelry, <laughs> but, you know, whatever, whatever that, uh, whatever that goal is, you know, um, that, you know, it's my tradition. That's what it is. It's my personal tradition on Rosh Chodesh to uh, go outside and, you know, shoot free throws for 10 minutes. And for every one that I make in those 10 minutes, I've earned an M&M. I don't know. <laughs> That's my own personal Rosh Chodesh tradition. Whatever it is, but it, it marks the time for you in a way that, that you like for whatever reason you like it. I love that. Because you like the We can do free throws. We totally... Would you like the free throws or the M&M's? <laughs> I used to like free throws. Now I don't think I can make them. But I was thinking something akin to that, like going out to dinner. <laughs> Every Rosh Kodesh. Yeah. Every Rosh Kodesh. That should be the time to go out to, to, celebrate, to celebrate the ability to... Renew? To be alive, I guess. Wow. 
What I really like also is sometimes the biggest obstacle in becoming the new you is all the people around you who know the old you. Mm -hmm. So there's something really powerful. Maybe if we all gave us each other permission on Rosh Chodesh to just be to be new. Or be whoever you want, they want to be without be, carrying all that baggage from the previous month. Along that could be a new declaration. We right? blow we, those we, horns. Right. We're all starting. We're starting fresh. And leave me alone. To be, be the new me. <laughs> no, really. Or help yeah. me be the new me. Yeah. Give me encouragement. It could be a day of public announcements, public declarations. Public I, service announcements. Ah. Uh, I don't know. I just turn those off when they're on TV. <laughs> wow. So I think I have to admit... When this all started, I thought, wow, this is going to be challenging to squeeze something meaningful out of Rosh Chodesh. And because I am blessed with such wonderful colleagues, uh, I think a lot of great stuff came out. So here's the challenge, teachers, educators, and, all, and people out there. It's in our calendar. We, it's, we are doing it. The question is, what do we want to do with it? And I think uh, we've heard some really great ideas. I'm going to try. I hope I'm going to try. I'm going to try to try. That's my uh, goal. We We're will allow you to be the new you and Excellent. try whatever you like. There you go. There's the support. <laughs> so uh, thank you for joining us. We hope you learned something. Please don't hesitate to give us some feedback. And, and send in your ideas. Let us know what are you doing with your students or in your own life to be the new you, do anything that's special for Rosh Chodesh. Let us know. We'd love to hear. Beautiful. So until next time when we will be talking with you about, I think it's Purim. Oh my goodness. See how time flies? Okay, <laughs> enough of that. Thank you very much for listening. Bye. For more great content, go to elmad.pardes.org. See you next time.